He's out of it. God's out of it. That's what one of the lads said to me in the trenches. Christ suffered once and for all and then ascended into heaven and left us here in hell. I mean, they're they're tired, cold, frightened boys. That's all they are. What's God like for them? And then one day it struck me. I was running back towards our lines, mad with fright, to be honest, and I, I went across this bit of open land, it used to be a wooded copse or something, and I tripped, I must have stumbled over something or other, and I looked down to see what I'd tripped over, and there, on the ground, looking up at me, was this young, underfed, undersized, underage German boy, wounded in his head and his stomach. And I looked down at this pathetic creature and I thought what's this got to do what the devil has he got to do with you Hmm? you're not some blonde blue-eyed Prussian you're a boy that's all and as I looked down at the face on this boy it was as if Jesus on the cross took his place (laughs) there was Jesus looking up at me and I could hear these words whatever you do for the least of these little ones you do for me And from that moment on, I I never saw the battlefields as anything other than Jesus on the cross. That's what I saw. I saw him in the slums. I saw him in the overcrowded quarter. I saw him in some vulgar street speaking to me of luxury and waste. I saw him in the headlines of a newspaper, speaking out about a lost, bewildered and tortured world. But the vision of life in the cross is not one of despair. It's not. It's one of hope. It's one of confidence. Why? I'll tell you why. Because behind the cross is an empty tomb. And Jesus with his wounded hands ready to bless you. Ready to ascend into heaven. Bantam by Jackie Kay. My father at 87 remembers his father at 17. It wasn't men that sent the war, they sent to war. It was boys, like the Bantams. We men named after a small breed of chickens. Or later, a jeep, a bike, a camera. That needy for soldiers, they dropped height restrictions. So small men came to war. As a prisoner, my father's weight fell, and years later, the shrapnel fray the Somme shot out a wee jewel hidden in his left arm. The Soldier by Rupert Brooke If I should die, think only this of me That there's some corner of a foreign field That is forever England There shall be in that rich earth A richer dust concealed A dust whom England bore Shaped, made aware Gave once 
her flowers to love, her ways to roam. A body of England's breathing English air, washed by the rivers, blessed by the sons of home. And think, this heart, all evil shed away, a pulse in the eternal mind, no less gives somewhere back the thoughts by England given. Her sights and sounds, dreams happy as her day, and laughter, learn to friends and gentleness in hearts at peace under an English heaven. We're going to look at some images on the screen uh, with some some music behind them. They are quite dark again, so we will take the lights down for you. The majority of them are photographs from the War Memorial and the um, Naval Museum in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, Young men literally travelled halfway around the globe to fight in the Great War on the side of Britain and the Allies. And interspersed with those are a small number from Tampere in uh, Finland. Uh, These are mostly from the Civil War in Finland in 1918. So it just seems a helpful juxtaposition that as one war ended, so another began. So if we can just take the lights down, that would be great. Thank you.
could tell it backwards. True. Begin that moment, shrapnel scythed you to the sinking mud. But you get up, amazed. Watch, bled bad blood. Run upwards from the slime into its wounds. See lines and lines of British boys rewind back to their trenches. Kiss the photographs from home. Mothers, sweethearts, sisters, younger brothers. Not entering the story now to die and die and die. Dulce, no. Decorum, no. Repatria more. You walk away. You walk away. Drop your gun and fix bayonet like all your mates do too. Harry, Tommy, Wilfred, Edward, Bert. And light a cigarette. There's coffee in the square. Warm French bread and all those thousands dead are shaking the dried mud from their hair and queuing up for home. Freshly alive, a lad plays Tipperary to the crowd, released from history. The glistening, healthy horses, fit for heroes, kings. You lean against a wall, your several million lives still possible and crammed with love, work, children, talent, English beer, good food. You see the poet took away his pocketbook and smile. If poetry could truly tell it backwards, then it would. Wisdom chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, verses 21 to 25. Listen, therefore, O kings, and understand. Learn, O judges of the ends of the earth. Give ear, you that rule over multitudes and boast of many nations. For your dominion was given you from the Lord and your sovereignty from the Most High. He will search out your works and inquire into your plans. Therefore, if you delight in thrones and scepters, O monarchs over the peoples, honour wisdom so that you may reign forever. I will tell you what wisdom is and how she came to be, and I will hide no secrets from you. 
but I will trace her course from the beginning of creation and make knowledge of her clear, and I will not pass by the truth, nor will I travel in the company of sickly envy, for envy does not associate with wisdom. The multitude of the wise is the salvation of the world, and a sensible king is the stability of any people. Therefore, be instructed by my words, and you will profit. One Thessalonians chapter four verses thirteen to eighteen. Our brothers, we want you to know the truth about those who have died, so that you will not be sad. So are those who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will take back with Jesus those who have died believing in Him. What we are teaching you now is the Lord's teaching. We who are alive on this day, the Lord comes, will not go ahead of those who have died. There will be the shout of command, the archangel's voice, the sound of the Lord's trumpet, and the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Those who have died believing in Christ will rise to life first. Then we who are living at that time will be gathered up along with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So then, encourage one another with these words. Wendy led the ladies of the Bible study in a very interesting introduction to the book of wisdom. A book which was written quite late on in the time before Jesus was born. At a time when people were beginning to work out what it meant to believe in a life beyond this life. And a time when they were thinking about how emperors, kings, in our language, presidents or rulers or prime ministers, those kind of people, how they should behave. If a king or an emperor decides to wage war, he would have the power to compel his citizens to fund that war, to prepare for war and to go to war with huge human cost and long-term consequences. And the writer of wisdom reminds them that the responsibility for their actions is not just here and now in the earthly realm, but in the eternal sphere of God's judgment. As it says elsewhere in the scriptures, from those to whom much has been entrusted, 
much will be demanded. Unfortunately, we can't tell it backwards. We can't undo the past. We can't alter the decisions made by those who worked the earth before us. But we do have the opportunity in the here and now to find ways to bring a more hopeful future. What the leaders of the powerful nations today need, just as they did back then, is wisdom. And by that I don't just mean knowledge and intellectual capacity, though those are useful. But the insights and the understanding that result from the influence of God's wisdom, personified here as Sophia, a feminine aspect of the divine concerned with wisdom. And it really isn't always that easy amidst the clamour of voices, both activist and pacifist, each claiming they have the truth to be sure that what we hear is the whisper of God's Sophia wisdom. All of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament and much of that attributed to the prophets is written as poetry. It allows rhythm and meter, rhyme and such techniques as acrostic and chiasm. Go and talk to literature people about those if you don't know what they are. These allow us to move beyond a surface reading to an emotional response, a spiritual response to what is shared. And I wonder, as you have participated in the silence, listened to familiar words, listened to poems that you may or may not have heard before, to the scriptures, to the songs and hymns, and as you've looked at the pictures, what have you felt? Sadness? Anger? Bewilderment? Resonance? Maybe an odd hint of humour? Do you at this moment feel more hopeful or hopeless? The poems that we heard were from a collection edited by the poet laureate Carol Ann Duffy, which which she was asked to do to commemorate the beginning of the Great War or World War I. And eminent poets of today were invited to choose something from that war and then to offer something they had written themselves, either as a response to what was happening then or something that's going on now. And maybe they capture within that those twin senses of hopefulness and hopelessness in ways that are creative, ways that actually help us to name or express those things for which prose and intellect are inadequate. Geoffrey Studdart Kennedy, MC, was a padre, a army chaplain. He was a Yorkshireman, uh, reasonably well portrayed there, I think, in the, in the video. And he went off to serve 
on the front line. And despite all those awful experiences, that just awful experience of tripping over the corpse of a young German boy and realising that these are not the enemy, these are just boys. Despite all that awfulness, the hope that his faith inspired, at least in an eschatological, a long-term eternal sense, enabled him to continue to serve on the front line. And in the course of his experience, he travelled a huge personal journey from somebody who was enthusiastic about the war to somebody who was a pacifist. He wrote many poems arising from his experiences, recognising the power of that medium to convey more than straightforward prose ever could. Despite it all, and despite comparing the trench warfare of the Great War to hell, Woodbine Woolley, as he was known, refused to to surrender to hopelessness. He refused to allow the horror to destroy his humanity. Rather, he brought the atrocity that he witnessed into a close conversation with the faith that had led him maybe wisely and maybe foolishly, to go out to the battlefields in the first place. How do I hold together this awfulness that I see with this faith in Christ, the source of hope? He worked at that for the rest of his life. The letter to the church at Thessalonica includes words which are often used to comfort those who've been bereaved reassuring them, importantly, that their loved ones are safe, that the abruptness of death and separation of the grave do not, and cannot, and will not have the last words. Those loved and lost have gone ahead of us, have crossed that horizon of hope towards which we continue to travel. So does that make it okay then? Is that enough? Well, no, it isn't. It's never going to be good enough to say, well, it'll all come good in the end. It's just the way it is. It's just a hopeless inevitability that those who die as civilian or military victims of violence and war will happen. It's just the way it is. It's not good enough just to say, it'll be okay, the other side of the grave. Our task here and now is as bearers of hope. I recently heard a term that to me was new. Maybe some of you um, have come across it before. The term is of being a shalom activist. To be somebody who actively works for the inbreaking of God's kingdom of shalom. Maybe we have to go right back to where we started. To the need for wisdom for those who have the power to declare service and end wars. Maybe our activism for peace has to begin by taking that wisdom into the areas where we have authority, into our homes, where squabbles and arguments, disagreements and sometimes fights occur, into our families where there can be fallouts and estrangements and a sense of will it ever come right? For those who work into our places of employment, 
where power struggles and backstabbing can be quite normal. As the old song says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. We start where we are. This always seems to be the message that scripture gives us. Begin in Jerusalem, or in our case, in Glasgow, in our homes, in the places where we work, to be those activists for shalom, the agents of peace. And that will spread like the poppy seed to other places. And of course, sometimes we will feel hopeless. We can be overwhelmed by our personal circumstances. We can be overwhelmed by the news on television. Perhaps then, music, poetry and art, our own, all that borrowed from others, can help us to articulate truths we cannot speak, can give us a kind of catharsis to let out the hurt, the anger, the confusion, the bewilderment, can teach us new truths and help us to move forward more hopefully realigned with our ultimate hope the hope that in Christ evil and death are defeated and that one day God will make all things new Amen
I'm using as our prayer for others this morning um, a hymn by John Bell because he says better than I ever could what I would want to pray this morning. So let us pray. What shall we pray for those who died? Those on whose death our lives relied? Silenced by war, but not denied. God, give them peace. What shall we pray for those who mourn? Friendships and love, their fruit unborn. Though years have passed, hearts still are torn. God, give them peace. What shall we pray for those who live tied to the past they can't forgive? Haunted by terrors they relive. God, give them peace. What shall we pray for those who know nothing of war? And cannot show grief or regret for friend or foe. God, give them peace. What shall we pray for those who fear war in some guise may reappear, looking attractive? And sincere. God, give them peace. God, give us peace. And more than this, show us the path where justice is. And let us never be remiss, working for peace that lasts. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.
Generous God, we bring these gifts of money and ask that you would help us to show great wisdom in how they are employed as we use them to help us to be agents of your shalom in this church, in this community, this city, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. After our closing hymn, uh, please sit down again because there are a few bits that follow on after the hymn.
The school bell is a call to battle. Every step to class, a step into the firing line. Here is the target. Fine skin at the temple. Cheek still rounded from being 15. Surrendered, surrounded, she takes the bullet in the head and walks on. The missile cuts a pathway in her mind to an orchard in full bloom, a field humming under the sun, its lap open and full of poppies. This girl has won the right to be ordinary, wear bangles to a wedding, paint her fingernails, go to school. Bullet, she says, you are stupid, you have failed. You cannot kill a book or the buzzing in it. A murmur, a swarm. Behind her, one by one, the schoolgirls are standing up to take their places on the front line. We say together... Lead us from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust. Lead us from hatred to love. Lead us from war to peace. Let peace fill our hearts, our worlds, our universe. 